This is the CineSnob Podcast. Welcome to episode 183 of the CineSnob Podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. And I am Cody Viafania. And Cody, um, this week, uh, for the first time in a while, we are without our third member, Jocelyn, who, as you may have uh, heard from last week's episode, was going on maternity leave. Yes. Uh, to have her baby uh, and her husband's baby, right? Both yeah, of their, it's both of their babies. Yeah. So um, I believe Tuesday, the baby, we, we didn't know the sex of the baby. They were purposely not finding out. Right. But she did tell us the name, the names that they had decided on off air. She told us that. And then, uh, so this is baby Hugo, who was born on Tuesday, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it was Tuesday night. It was the night of the debate. Son of a bitch. That's like, seems <laughs> like 10,000 years ago. I know. This baby's been through a lot in his short little life. No kidding. Um, and also, the thing that I find uh, very funny is that they had this, like, they hadn't, they didn't know what sex the baby was. Mm-hmm. And then, but they had this, like, name stuff made up, as you can see there. Mm-hmm. So I asked if there's, like, was this like an NBA championship like that went to game seven and they printed up all the gear? <laughs> yeah. So it was like, is somebody like over in uh, some less developed country getting the stuff with the with the girl's name that they had picked? Yeah, they're getting all their Daphne merch. All their Daphne merch. Uh, but yeah, congratulations to uh, Jocelyn and her husband, Gaetan. I think that's how you say it. Yeah, I think there's some. I think there's some. Uh, there's some, some European. There. <laughs> there's some Europe. I'm sorry if I. I don't know if he watches, but I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name. I don't. No. Anyway, uh, yeah. Um, as we alluded to, it's been a crazy week. Um, since I, I saw uh, someone say something like, "This week's been a crazy month," and, and it's my God, man, it is. Um, well, I guess we should we should timestamp it because who knows what's happening? It's it's technically five o'clock, uh, five o three on Sunday evening, mm-hmm. and um, so since our last episode, Jocelyn had a baby. Yes. Um, little Hugo, who you just saw. Uh, there was a debate that was crazy. Yes. Um, between President Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden. Um, and then, who knows when the timeline is? Uh, the president got COVID-19. Yes, I think that was on uh, very late Thursday night. It was very late. Th- well, it was early Friday morning Central Time that it was confirmed but there's yeah, there's speculation yeah, there's speculation that it was um um sometime before that uh yeah the timeline is not really matching up there's some implications <laughs> here that Trump may have known that he had covid and then went to a fundraiser with a buffet lunch <laughs> which, is... I, which which I was like a buffet <laughs> holy shit <laughs> i i you know we used to do like uh the pizza buffets and I think I feel like that's a thing of the past. Like it's it's nothing that's ever going to be happening again. Like just a a line where you go get food. And apparently in uh, or it was like uh, Bedminster, New Jersey, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, apparently that's still on the table. So <laughs> if you're itching for a buffet, you can go uh, like to a campaign if, event. Even if nobody has COVID and everyone's been tested, a buffet is perilous <laughs> to do. I mean, right now. look, I I don't. I'm not going to pretend like I'm not garbage and that I like that I don't like buffets because I do. I mean, I just that's that's the kind of garbage I am. But even 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 at like the peak of them of there not being a, a very highly contagious, very easily communicable disease, 
buffets are fucking gross. Yeah. <laughs> and to imagine that, you know, there's these people eating from a buffet right now, like we're no with no one masked and people not masked because they they feel it's some sort of political statement is just mind-blowing to me yeah it's it truly is like not to politicize this too much but but it it we truly are at the point of let's get covid to own the libs like that's an actual thing that's happening now yeah i can't really yeah i i can't comment further on that but by the way is that your mask hanging on the door behind you yeah, that is a uh, an old school Spurs logo mask. I have the same mask. Oh, oh, look at us! We could be mask buddies. Um, yeah. yeah. So where were we? This was Wednesday or Thursday? Yeah, Late Thursday into Friday. So the president has COVID nineteen. Um, and just it, as we are stepping into this podcast minutes ago, the president just drove uh, in a suburban to his supporters and waved at them. Uh, trapping himself in a sealed car with Secret Service members, whoever's driving the car, um, to to wave at people. <laughs> it's just that I think that more than anything else this week is the most stunning piece of imagery I've seen in a long time. It's I it's crazy, just crazy. Look, I, I don't. I'm not going to comment on the political implications of any of this. Just wear your fucking mask. And be goddamn careful. And especially if you have it, like, please. Oh. I mean, thank thank goodness my family is taking this seriously, too, which is something that I was, you know, legit concerned about. Because we live, you know, in Austin and the rest of my family, rest of our, both of my wife and I's family are in San Antonio. And we were worried about that, particularly with the old timers in the family specifically not taking it seriously and to their credit, they have been, and it's um, not to their credit, but to the, you know, to perhaps my uh, paranoia about it being overblown, they are taking it seriously, which is obviously good to see, but there's so many people that aren't. And it's so crazy to me. Um, uh, Yeah. So we're in the middle of, of one of the longest weeks I've ever experienced. Uh, just as a, uh, like as a whole, like I've had long work weeks. Like you remember a few years ago when we had the, the bomber here in Austin. Yeah. Like, like that week was an eternity, um, for me professionally, but then this is just more general. Like everything is going to shit in a week. And I mean, this is like, I was trying, I was texting with a friend yesterday and I was trying to figure out if there's like a, an apt pop culture metaphor for this. And I don't know that there is like that, hmm. like you have a president who's kind of staked his claim on not really buying into this virus, getting the virus, Yeah, you know, a month from election day. <laughs> I was like, what, what? I feel like this is like, it's almost a trope in my opinion. Like it's almost something that would be like, no, you can't write like that's a. I mean, it's like I've seen the Chekhov's gun thing. It's like almost Shakespearean. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little more Chekhov. I think it's a little more Chekhov's gun than Shakespearean. But, but I get what you're saying because you, you even now, if you tried to explain this to someone, you'd be like, and that's a little on the nose, right? Yeah, like in this this plot line, it's like it would be like a, it'd be described as fan service. I guess is what 
<laughs> if, if this if this happened at your like your season your series finale of a TV show, you'd be like, "Well, it was just full of fan service." Like, of course, <laughs> yeah, you know, of course this happened. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is uh, a crazy time, and uh, I I don't know what to think anymore. So, um, I guess on that we can move on to something a little more related to us. Uh, in that, uh, there's been more, uh, movie delays and that is the, the big one that was again, supposed to save cinemas this fall or this winter was no time to die moving, uh, to sometime in 2021. Yeah. Moving from November. Um, so when was it originally scheduled? It was originally scheduled for April, right? Uh, I can check that. I think that sounds about right, but I'll check. Cause I remember, uh, Daniel yeah, Craig April. like hosted an SNL. Mm-hmm. Like prior, either right as it got delayed or pr- just right before it got delayed. Yeah, so it was supposed to come out um, April 2020, and then by March they had uh, moved it to November 12th, and then now they have um, moved it to 2021, which, you know... Obviously, it was bound to happen. I don't think there's any question about that. I think the interesting thing that I saw someone make on Twitter was that, like, if you wanted to play the narrative of saving cinema, No Time to Die maybe could have, <laughs> uh, if you want to look at it from that perspective. But now, um, as we'll talk about in a second, now that it's moved, there are some massive implications uh, for that. Because it was really, you know, it's that, I think, Pixar's Soul, which I think may have gotten moved already, Black Widow got moved. And so when you start pushing, the only thing that's left is like Dune. Um, so yeah, uh, is Dune still scheduled for this year? Dune for now, at, as of now, I believe Dune is scheduled for December. Um, December eighteenth uh, is the release date, but um, I have to imagine that's moving. Yeah. Um, so this kind of goes back to our conversations we've had about Tenet over the course of the, the last few weeks. And as I mentioned last week, my wife went and saw it at a, you know, one of those like rent a theater places. And you saw it at the drive in this week. I did. That was the other bit of news. That was the night. Uh, that was, gosh, what it's like day Wednesday was that? night? It must have been Wednesday night. Um, yeah, it must have been Wednesday. It was either Monday night or Wednesday night. I think it was I know, Monday night. Uh, is, uh, I know my wife uh, messaged you to talk about the movie because she can't talk about it with me. So, uh, I, again, that's something that, you know, how long are we out from, how far are we out from Tenet's release? Like a month and a half now? Uh, it came out in uh, Labor Day weekend, so So yeah, yeah so nearly, nearly, well, we're a, a month. A little over a month. A little over a month into this. And it's still the only thing playing anywhere. Uh, and without having, you know, we, we touched on this, I think last week or the week before, without having the studio support for these movies, or without having studio support with movies being released to these theaters, it's causing them to die. And that's where we go to our next part is that, uh, um, uh, Regal cinemas has announced that it's closing its theaters around the world. Yeah. Um, when is that next week? Uh, as early as this upcoming week, as early as this upcoming week. So we have to assume that, that that's going to mean AMC follows suit that Cinemark follows suit and whatever else is out there. I, I, I know Alamo draft house reopened and, uh, I don't know that it, it was well, why as big a reopening as it was elsewhere, but I, I just can't imagine anything 
staying back open after this. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know what you think about. You, you haven't been to a theater Mm-mm. in since March, yeah. As as I haven't either. My wife said, you know, it was very spaced out in the rental theaters. I've seen reports that going to the movie theater, uh, you know, from people on Twitter that we know, you know, is very sparsely populated. And I wonder how safe it really is. Like if if it's really something that that they've taken into account to be as safe as it's ever going to be. Yeah, I don't know because I think that there was some like they haven't been really transparent in their uh, what they're doing to make it safe. Um, you know, cause they say that they're cleaning the theaters, but we don't have any evidence. I mean, unless you're popping in before or in between right. every movie, you'd have no idea if that's actually happening. And then they talked about re- like the, like air circulation that they're recirculating air more often. Again, how will we, ev- how would we ever know that as consumers? Right. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. Um, though I get the sense that it's a moot point because what's happening is there's nothing to see now. Yeah. And so and so, you know, we have a couple small movies that are opening this week that are playing in theaters, but um, but they're not making any money. I mean, Kajillionaire has that we covered a couple weeks ago has made like less than five hundred thousand dollars in the theaters. Like it's just, I, I I saw that Hocus Pocus is the top box office release yeah. this week. A movie that's yeah. twenty seven years old and pretty terrible, I might add. Yeah. Uh, you know that that's going to be showing on Freeform. 30 nights this Halloween. So, um, I, I wonder, uh, I mean, this is, we, I feel like we talk about this every single week and I guess we do, but what's it going to take to finally get people like, what's it going to finally take to get the studios and the theaters to kind of agree on what's going to happen? Cause it seems like that's a, you know, those, those are two things that they need to work together on. And I'm not saying that I feel I, that I want to go back to a theater because I don't. Um, but what's it going to take for people to say, you know, because it, it, it's hard to say that that no one's going to the theater when you're only offering one new film, you know, and you it's not like a kid's film. Like you can't take a kid to go. I mean, you could, you could but it, like a kid's not going to want to go see Tenet. Um, something like Black Widow would probably be a bigger test to see how well this would work, but what's it going to take for these things to work together or are they ever going to? Yeah. Um, I, I, it's hard to say here. We'll take a, we'll, we'll take something from Larry McGillicuddy, Mm. uh, who says, I thought they could just have one person per row. No, uh, they're usually spacing them out with like at least two seats of buffer to hit that six foot thing. So thanks for your question, Larry. Is this? I I feel like this is something that uh, this is like an inside joke. This Larry McGillicuddy. So. Uh, it's not an. It's it's just some people that I know who are um, being, uh, you know. Okay. <laughs> it's I get it. If you if you're if you're listening to this at home uh, on a, on if you're listening to the audio version, we have uh, comments popping up now. So. Yeah. Also, you couldn't see the picture of Jocelyn's baby, but you know. Yeah, no, use Whatever. your imagination. Yeah. Uh, it's a baby. It looks like a baby. Every baby, like it was a newborn baby, and it looks like a newborn baby. Yeah, nothing that you hear that, Justin. There's nothing special about your child. Well, I'm sure he looks different now, but it's that first day. We talked about it last week, where every baby's like a mush faced, like yeah. has really big black eyes, and like his face is like that. Yeah. 
Uh, He's adorable. What am I saying? Yeah. So you were asking about if the studios and the theaters are going to work together to try to save and rally together the industry. Is that what you were saying? I mean, I, I know the theater, I know the the studios are doing whatever they can to eventually cut out that middleman. Yeah. But I, I feel like now, you know, there's, there's more opportunity than ever to work together. You know, if they wanted to, you know, let's say you you have the let's say the idea that tenet as a slow roll is something that's working you know as opposed to this the typical model where a movie ha, it's made or made or broken on the opening weekend and let's say that now you can slow roll a film like tenet you can roll slow roll it over a month would it what would it take for the studios to partner with the theaters and just do that like set a release date that doesn't you know that's not based on the opening weekend that says okay now next month we're only going to release this movie or whatever going forward yeah and i i you know i don't know that that's the answer but it seems like that's the best option that they would have right now I just don't see theater chains doing anything that would be even moderately progressive and trying to adapt. It seems like they are dead set on holding strong on 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 what their plans are, with the exception of that deal that was made between what was it, AMC and uh, Universal. Universal. Yeah. That's the closest thing you're getting to it. But other than that, I, it's it's so funny to watch because it's almost as if these theater chains are content to just let it to, to just watch it burn. I, I don't understand why they're not doing more to try to save th- their livelihood. Because again, you know, how many weeks has it been now so that they've been operating off uh, at a loss? You would think. Well, but but what I'm saying is though that the, that's really controlled by the product, though. You know, if the studios aren't releasing it. And I assume that's to maximize gross revenues in the future. But, right, but if, if, the, if if nobody's coming to the theater, then then you like, why be open? You know, even if even if the even if the studios are putting out movies, you know, what's the point of having your theater open if you're going to eat all that cost in operating costs and paying staff and all that stuff and not make anything back? Well, sure, sure, and I'm not saying that that. Again, I'm not saying that it's safe or recommending going to a movie theater, but the experiment hasn't really been made that, you know, if you offer more stuff, people will go. Because, I mean, people are still going because, like I said, Hocus Pocus, a movie that's readily available everywhere, it topped the box office. And I know it's peanuts compared to anything else i will tell you this in the past week i have driven by multiple movie theaters including two on the way to the drive-in and the drive-in was way more crowded than any standing theater that i drove by including driving by on the weekends yeah i so i just don't i don't think that it's a viable option right now and people i mean the the audiences are clearly showing that they're not ready to go back so you know the people are going to dictate the market not the the releases coming out because i mean arguably you had the biggest movie of the year in Tenet come out and it barely made a blip. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I it's it's interesting to me that that the studios have given up essentially. Yeah. Because um, it feels like there could be something else. Like they could at least experiment with something else if they're if they're intent on. Because look, if these theaters don't survive, then it doesn't fucking matter that they held Black Widow. 
because you're going to have half the screens you had anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're not going to open on 4,000 screens because there won't be 4,000 screens to open on. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the question I have. Again, and I, you know, looking at this from a long-term perspective as opposed to something that's happening right now, because I, again, I'm not advocating going to a theater, nor am I someone who wants to go to a theater. Just saying that if, if the decision is made to go to a theater, the idea that you would have some sort of option other than Tenet and, you know, some art house films that just happen to get the real estate and then, you know, fucking Back to the Future and whatever else happens to be showing that, you know, is easily accessible somewhere else at home, I think is is not going to help anyone in the theater industry. And, you know, that in turn will decimate studio income, I assume. I mean, unless unless the studio's... Um, the only thing I could see happening is if the studios say fuck it and and don't care about pissing off theaters anymore because there aren't any and they just start going all VOD. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I mean, I, I think it's a good... Exp- I, I don't know. There's just so many variables here that I think are being left unexplored. And uh, sorry, that was my magic wand. Don't take that out on video. <laughs> sorry, everyone. Um that there's, you know, that the idea, like, if you're going to open them and you're going to release, you're going to release something, fucking go for it. You know, don't be like, we're releasing Tenet and then nothing else for the rest of the year. Uh, and that's, that's, I would be, I, as someone who likes to go to the movies on occasion, you know, not during a global pandemic, you know, I, I would be sad to see them go away. But, you know, anyway, anything else before we move on? Mm, no, I think we're Got good. any more comments from the peanut gallery that's worth... Uh... Yeah, here we go. That's oh. when you pulled out your magic wand. Oh, look at that. Yep. Yeah, abracadabra. Yep. Gonna, yeah. All right. Uh, all right. <laughs> Let's go ahead and move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. First up, we have Possessor. Anything you want to flag? No. No, I'm fine. Oh, How was your trip? Dull. Extraordinarily dull. Our next contract's a big one. The target is the CEO of the largest operation in the U.S. He'll be binding to Colin Tate. We can't afford any mistakes on this one. Ready? today what do you mean i'm in place can we help you finish this what are you doing so this is a uh very cronenbergian horror film and um horror sci-fi film from the the uh, son of david cronenberg brandon cronenberg yeah right? that's his son um, yeah I, I saw someone refer to him as uh baby cronenberg which is he's 40 so you know yeah 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 um so tell us about uh possessor uncut yes uh cody and what you thought of it yeah, uh, it's it's being marketed as Possessor Uncut, which is strange because I don't think there was ever any like uh, assumption that it was being edited. Um, and um, I'm not sure if it is. Is it rated? It, it can't be rated R. It has to be unrated, right? There's like 
Uh, I don't like, know. There's a lot of wang and booby in it, so... Well, it's a it's erect wang, which I believe was not usually allowed in films, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, let, let me do some research on erect <laughs> wang. Yeah, go to Mr. Skin and do some research. <laughs> yeah, all um, right. But yeah, so uh, it's a... Like you said, it's very Cronenbergian... Um, and um, and it and it sort of plays into um, what you would expect in terms of like a, a body horror type of movie. Um, and and the the plot is relatively simple, which you see in that clip, which is there's a woman who um, essentially uh, there, it's like a service where uh, they're trying to take out targets and, and and kill targets, and so to do that they possess the body of someone close to them, and then they commit a murder, and then kill themselves, and then pull themselves out. Um, and, uh, and basically what happens is a woman gets kind of bonded to, uh, one of the people who you see there played by Christopher Abbott. And, um, and then, you know, the, the movie is really about the bond that these two have in the, in the relationship, in the sort of fusing of the, of the people. And, you know, I think that for, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a trippy kind of movie. A lot of the sequences are dreamlike. Um, you get a lot of like the body horror. It's really uh, gruesome too um a lot of really bloody scenes um some uh you know there's some uh, some there's things a... that get removed <laughs> uh, uh yeah I, there's a lot of violence in this movie it's a very lot of, violent yeah a lot of violent movie and i think it's effective and i think that you know it it has it has some interesting stuff in its in its sort of world building like kind of um building this idea that this possessor thing exists and I think um, the performances are really good. I think I like Christopher Abbott a lot in here. Uh, Andrea Riseborough is 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 pretty good too. Um, I think where the movie sort of slips up a little bit, um, and we talked about this a little bit, is I wish that it had more of a. You know, you you don't spend too much time watching these two people fight over the same body, right. um, and so. You know, Christopher Abbott is a person whose body it is, and then, uh, you know, he starts to sort of take over a little bit um, from the person who, um, from Andrea Riseborough. And I don't think that it does a good enough job of showing sort of the the battle that they have for that body. And also, I think where it sort of goes a little bit awry is that I don't think it does a great job either of um, showing what Andrea Riseborough's drive to that particular body is or why she gets stuck. You know, she has some trouble um, in the movie kind of pulling the trigger um, and, and leaving the body that she's in and, and inhabiting. Like li- literally pulling the trigger. Yeah, and so I don't I don't really think that it does a great job of showing, like, the drive there. And, like, it's it's a really horny movie, too, as you kind of mentioned. <laughs> like, there's yeah. a lot of, uh, there's a lot of sex. She seems to be, like, infatuated with sex. Like, at one point, she's inhabiting the body and, like, looking down at her penis. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, and so. Well, and, yeah, and it's, like, her body and then it has a, she yeah. has his penis. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. It's, it's. I, I was never bored with the movie, and I think it's effective, and I think it's uh, it's 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 good body horror, it's good sci-fi horror, and I, I left the experience finding it to be um, a good watch. But I feel like there's like something missing, like there's a link missing here that's like tying it all together um, that I think falls a little bit short on that end. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think that it's um, you know, this is kind of a, a th- it's a slam, and it sounds lazy. 
but I think it's true. It's kind of weird for weird's sake at sometimes. There's a scene where, uh, What's the actress's name? I forget the main actress. Um, Andrea Riseborough. Andrea Riseborough. She's inhabiting, uh, you know, the guy's body, and she goes to his, like, goes to his place of work, and it's like some strange VR system where he's like, like he he sits he, he's in a row of people sitting in front of computer screens or no with a sorry not computer screens but they all have like VR headsets on. And then, like, in the headset, they're sitting in front of a computer, like, looking, spying in people's houses and, like, mm. talking about what kind of drapery and stuff they have. I mean, it, yeah. it makes no sense. Yeah, because they're allegedly weird a data shit. mining company. Yeah, but it doesn't, like, it, it, and again, that's another very horny part where <laughs> where you see another, uh, you know, a, a sex scene taking place. Um, You know, and then the... Uh, the aforementioned sort of her kind of hallucinating or, or whatever's happening where she's seeing his penis on her body and uh, things like that, that don't really, you know, I get that what it's doing. And there's, there's some great uh, body horror stuff in here, as you would expect from someone named Cronenberg. Um, the, I think the effect that they have where she's transitioning to his body, it's like this crazy melting effect. Yeah. I thought was really well done. It really looks cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do agree, though, that there is just something missing. And I do think that it's that idea that the two of them are fighting for control over this body as it's, you know, there's a point in the movie where I, I could tell it was meant to be switching to that. But the the plot and the uh, the the acting and the directing never really lent itself to that that's a good that's a good point because i don't think it's anything i don't think there's any fault in the acting but i I think that maybe it was too subtle to show the difference yeah of of like who was controlling who who was like the you know know, the the one pulling the strings at any given time because there's not a ton different between the performance of of christopher abbott when he's being when he's himself and when he's being controlled by andrea risebro i mean they're they're virtually the same sort of low-key kind of acting, which is a good performance, but not necessarily so to drive the narrative of figuring out who's who, what's what, what the battle is. Yeah, because I, I don't know if you know that there's a particular scene I'm thinking of, and I think it's right after the the horny scene where he he comes to, and I think you're meant to to f- realize that he is, has he has taken back over his body, mm-hmm. um, and he finds out, that another character he was with has a, a fate that he, you, do you know what I'm, t- I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's where I, I was really confused because I didn't know immediately what was happening. You know, yeah. I didn't know immediately that he was supposed to be back in control at that point. And that was the, um, that was the point where, where I realized it wasn't doing a very good job of that. So, uh, again, it's very interesting to look at. I was I wasn't bored. It's very, um, you know, has a very low budget lived in world. I think, um, you know, there's weird technology and and stuff. And Jennifer Jason Lee basically playing her same annihilation part. <laughs> yeah, just sort of a weird, soft spoken, menacing character. Um, but overall, I I I think it was it was good. I think it's just missing one big ingredient. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your grade, Cody? 
you know, I'm going to give it a B minus. I think uh, it's worth recommending. It's worth seeing. Um, and it is, you know, it does show a lot of talent and it shows that the apple doesn't far, fall from the tree um, with Cronenberg. Um, I, I think that it could be a little bit better. It could be a little bit more complete. But if you're looking for something kind of unusual and strange and um, and God, poor Sean Bean. <laughs> uh, Sean Bean <laughs> dies in every movie, by yeah. the way. Every Everything he's in. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we saw, we saw, you saw it in the clip, but... Yeah, but um, yeah, B minus. Is this uh, is this Cronenberg uh, Brandon Cronenberg's first film? It's not. He did a movie called Antiviral, I believe it's called. Okay. Um, or it's the first time I've heard his name. I mean, of course, I know David Cronenberg, but yeah, the most fucked up David Cronenberg movie I think is uh, Crash, and not the terrible Crash, where they have uh, sex with people who had car crashes, hmm. like have sex with the wounds. You never heard of that movie? I've heard James of it. I haven't, I haven't seen it. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to give it a B minus. Also, I think it's I think it's good. I think it's worth a watch. I do think it's missing something that makes it all come together, and I think that's probably the uh, clear communication of of what's happening with the battle for this character's control of this character's body. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on to our next movie. Save yourselves. We don't have any skills. <laughs> urge to take out my phone is very strong. I've been wanting to YouTube how to make a trap to catch a rabbit so bad. Shooting star. Oh, oh my, my god. god. Did that one hit the earth? What is that? Has this been here the whole time? The poof? I don't know. Probably. Oh my god. What the f- What is happening? We need to turn our phones back on. Listen, it's getting weird here in New York. Serena, hello, are you there? Well, there's some kind of alien. Very dangerous. Aliens? The poof is in the cabin. Poof on the couch. Poof on the roof. What? Poof on the roof. Hello. Something you can hold on. What did Sean Connery say to the hostage who had a beard? I came here to shave you. Are we going to have to shave ourselves? So this is a comedy about the apocalypse, a very low budget. I don't know that this isn't mumblecore, but it's probably along the same lines. Yeah, I think it's mumblecore adjacent. Yeah. Um, A a movie that premiered at Sundance um, and I believe was supposed to be at uh, South by Southwest before it was canceled. All right. So tell us about Save Yourselves, Cody, and what you thought of it. Yeah, so uh, Save Yourselves is basically about this couple that lives in Brooklyn, very hipstery couple, as you can tell by that guy's mustache. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, essentially, they decide that they're they're in a bit of a rut, and they're going they're going to take uh, a week in or week. I think it's a full week to go to upstate New York and be, go into a cabin. They're going to turn their phones off for a week and be disconnected from the world, and then. Um, what they find out is that once they turn their phones on, that there's some kind of alien invasion going on, and um, and then hilarity ensues. Um, <laughs> you know, I I, I think that uh, it's uh, gosh, you know, I, I think that it's it's a f- it's funny enough. I I think that I found myself laughing 
pretty frequently throughout, and I think a lot of the jokes land. I think it does have some good, like, because it is basically kind of a, a commentary on millennial culture, too, and not being able to put down your phone. And the opening yeah. scene, I think, is particularly funny where um, she gets very mad at him for closing all of her browser tabs. Yeah, um, yeah. and he, then I think right after that is when she slaps the phone out of his hand. Yeah, yeah. It's and I think that that those parts sometimes it's too on the nose. Sometimes it is it is funny. Um, again, the, it's in that clip a little bit, but the poof on the roof thing really made me laugh when I watched it. Um, I, I think that if you expect anything beyond um, just a handful of laughs, I think you're going to be a little bit disappointed. I don't think that um, any of the sort of themes about growing up or you know, there's very clearly themes in here about having a kid too. Um, that that factors into kind of the third act of everything. Um, I, I don't think that it really has a ton to say about that kind of culture or uh, millennial couples or anything like that. Um, I also don't think that it does much with its sci-fi elements. You know, these these poofs, as they call them, you know, they. I appreciate that it's kind of like an original idea, but also you know, they don't have much character other than like, you know, the fact that they take ethanol, which seems to be just a, a, a plot point to move everything forward. And it kind of ends in a really unsatisfying way, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, that being said, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I thought it was a nice, light, kind of funny movie. Um, good performances from the actor uh, actors. I don't remember their names. I know one of them is on the show Glow. Um, I mean, it's and it's essentially the two of them. Yeah. For ninety five percent of the movie, like yeah, yeah. you have you have a few other characters pop up. Amy Sedaris is in it for like two minutes, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's essentially just these two people throughout yeah. the whole thing. And I think they I I think they're both great. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I think that it 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 hits on the nose a little too much, a little too often. And I think that you know there's some there. Ha ha, they're Brooklyn hipsters, you know, and I think that it leans on that joke a little too heavily at times. Um, you know, there's a scene where uh, they uh, they come across like a shotgun or a rifle and it, it scares them and they vowed to never use a gun again. And it, it's just a little too on the nose for what you might expect for something like this. Um, and, uh, you know, I do think it kind of runs out of gas i think the yeah. third act i think there, there's a scene the, the scene that we showed the poof on the roof scene where they actually finally leave the house i think after that it really goes downhill mm-hmm. and i think it it's trying to say something again with like millennials and kids and, and things like that and then the very end i just i was not having the end of it i don't i don't know yeah um you know, I think it's I think it's funny enough, like you said. I don't think it's it's a solid laugh riot all the way through. I think there is some funny stuff. I think it's a good setup. You know, these people are they're addicted to their phones and they're going to go detox essentially. But uh, by the end of it, I felt like it was like they ran out of ideas. Yeah, the whole thing that happens in the forest is not good. It's not it's not good. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't ruin anything. Um, and it doesn't ruin the movie. What was the movie? Oh, uh, Rent a Pal that ruined itself in the third act. <laughs> yeah. Um, this movie I don't think ruins itself. I just don't think it has anything good to say in the third act. Yeah, and I found that disappointing. Um, I do, I do, I did really like the performances from both the actors, the two main actors though, and I I don't remember their names either. 
I think the the woman was on uh, Mr. Robot also. Um, yeah, I'm pulling up their names now just because I want to give them credit because I think yeah. it, was a, it was a good. So uh, it is, um, well, where'd the page go? <laughs> uh, Sunita Manny is the woman and then John Reynolds is the guy. Yeah. Um, I, again, it's, it's funny enough and I think it's, it's, um, it is mumblecore adjacent. So it feels like that sort of vibe. Here we go. Uh, Mark Maron. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Mark Maron. I forgot. Thank you. Alison Brie. Uh, what was, what's, uh, the one who was in the hunt? Betty Gilpin. Betty Gilpin. Yeah. All right. What's your grade, Cody? This is a tough one. Um, I think ultimately I'm going to go C plus. I think that it, I think that. It's it's enjoyable enough enough to get some laughs out of it, but if you're looking for anything deeper um, or even like good sci-fi, because I, I like a good low budget sci-fi, but I just don't think that it really brings a ton to the table beyond you know a handful of laughs and poking fun at hipster culture. Yeah, I don't know either. I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be a little more generous and go with a B minus because I do think the performances are fun. Um, that it. it it runs out of gas, and I don't think that that's as bad as like blowing the ending. Uh, but you know, it runs out of gas because the ethanol got drained. <laughs> uh, but yeah, B minus for me. Uh, okay, let's move on to our next movie. Dick Johnson is dead. Just the idea that I might ever lose this man is too much to bear. He's my dad. Let's start walking. Just start walking to me. That's fantastic. I suggested we make a movie about him dying. <laughs> he said yes. She kills me multiple times. Action! The resurrected dad. Yeah, the resurrected, <laughs> resurrected <cool>. dad. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's upon us. The beginning of his disappearance. The thing I hate most about my memory loss is that it hurts people's feelings. You know that you woke up in the middle of the night last night. You got fully dressed. Do you remember any of that? No. Yeah. What can we do about that? I don't know. Everybody has to sort of prepare because everybody dies. So this is a documentary and a very interestingly made documentary i have to say um by uh kirsten johnson who is a a filmmaker who wanted to sort of chronicle her father's life before he kind of faded from dementia Mm -hmm. essentially um but it's it's there's a lot to unpack here so cody uh tell us about dick johnson is dead and what you thought of it what there is a lot to unpack and it's a little bit complicated because um you really want to applaud the the creativity and the effort that went into it essentially you know creating um you know uh, not you know like you said chronicling her father's life as as or before he faded into dementia but also confronting death head on um in in a number of different ways and i think as a documentary about you know this you know Kirsten Johnson and her father i think it's a really sweet documentary about a very likable man um who has a lot of personality and i think it's just a kind of like really a joy to kind of watch yeah no he's great of, he's great a lot of the time like a really great character like if you're gonna have this isolated story um of your family's life you really want to hope that you're you know the, the people involved are, are entertaining enough and, and he certainly is um 
and I think that um, it has a lot of frank and honest discussions about death um, in a way that um, feels satisfying. I, th- I think that, look, so part of what's going on in the movie is that is that Kirsten Johnson is sort of putting dramatic reenactments, so to speak, of accidental deaths that her father could face. And so, like, he, like, there's a scene that's staged where he gets hit with, uh, like, an air conditioner, uh, some other things that happen. There's also um, a scene, like, scenes that take place that are really, like, surrealist uh, heaven scenes as well, um, mm-hmm. showing his, her father in heaven. As much as that is a creative way of doing things, I don't know that it works. I, I don't know that... I, I think it detracts from this really sort of honest and raw documentary about confronting not only uh, death with death and dementia with Dick Johnson, her dad, but dealing with the loss through death and dementia of her mother and his wife. And that's a really mm-hmm. raw, honest, open story. And then you have it super like um, it's like you have this uh, cut in with these surrealist death scenes that I don't really think again i don't think that they work very well and i also feel like it sort of blunts the ability to make this a relatable story um because i i I feel like when you're talking about the death and dementia pieces those things are relatable and applicable but then you see that the catharsis that they're getting through making the reenactments and some of the things that they do towards the end of the movie that sort of stuff doesn't seem to be applicable or cathartic for anyone outside of these people in the movie and I think that sort of limits the amount of power that, that the movie could possibly have. And I think it just sort of takes away from some things in a way that I, while I appreciate and I think look really great and um, are are interesting, I didn't really find it either funny or satisfying. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. I think is the biggest thing. I just don't get what that's supposed to be about. Um, because as you mentioned, the, the Dick Johnson, um, he's a psychologist, psychiatrist, psychiatrist, psychiatrist um, who, you know, is is retiring in this um, at the beginning of this documentary. And he is, um, I think, in his mid 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he's starting to exhibit signs of dementia. Um, he says his, or the, it's said that his receptionist that worked for him said he was double booking patients, um, and just kind of, you know, the, showing these mild signs of dementia, but nonetheless dementia and th- that this, this woman, his daughter, Kirsten Johnson, who is a filmmaker wanted to tell the story of him, but then add these stunt, like these heavily stunt stunt heavy scenes of him dying in different ways. I don't really understand what that's about. Yeah. And I don't really quite get it unless it's just purely a coping thing because this is Kirsten Johnson's a kind of a strange character anyway in the film. Like she lives in a small apartment in New York and her, the, the dad, the two different dads of her kids live in adjacent apartments, something like that, which I don't really understand what's happening there. It's obviously a different family unit than normal, um, but as it see as it you know as we learn, Dick Johnson's kind of a he's a real jovial guy, and and they are Seventh Day Adventist, and you know he was never really that adherent to the religion. Um, 
so it's you know he's i mean he's a he's an all i mean this guy is a great character and great person it seems in the film and you know something there's obviously something very heartfelt about what she's doing to do that to produce this film um i just don't understand what it it's all supposed to mean yeah like again i think it's supposed to be catharsis and i don't know if it's catharsis through like taking the like taking the piss out of death right like like maybe it's an idea of like kind of not treating it as such a severe thing by doing it in such silly ways or like if you show a ridiculous version of it maybe it makes the reality of what's going to happen a little bit less intense um but either way the, the the connection is never explained and it's also again like i said it's tough to relate to if you're not this family and I think that's what really kind of undercuts the whole thing because I think that it could be a great movie that shows, you know, confronting. I mean, look, it reminded me a little bit of um, a secret love that we watched earlier this year, where it was like that. It was like yes, it was about these two women in a relationship, but also it was a meditation on aging, like like I haven't seen in a while. Right, and I feel like it was just it was more about that than anything else. It was yeah, just these these sure. two these two women that happened to be in love um i i do you know taking the piss out of the death I, I see what they're doing in those aspects but the movie begins with them uh staging a funeral for him uh that's gonna be sort of uh you know he's he's alive for it obviously and watching his friends and there's a scene, uh, the the man you see in the end of the clip, who's Dick Johnson's best friend, and I don't remember if the guy is ever named, but he gives this eulogy and he breaks down and it's terribly heart-wrenching. Yeah. And, but then you find out that, you know, and you have this knowledge that it's, you're, you're, you're informed that this not, that this isn't really happening. This is a staged thing. And I don't really know what purpose that serves. Well, it's never really explained, and 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 nor is it explained why. Because the whole the whole idea, which is where the confusing part comes in, is that is that Dick is agreeing to do this, all of this strange stuff for his daughter. Like, oh, I'm going to be in a movie. Let's make a movie. Let's do this. But it's not really explained what he's getting out of it, other than doing it for his daughter. Yeah. So like so like if Dick Johnson is gaining anything insightful about death by do, by the process of doing the movie it's not really there on screen. Right. Or if this is something where like he's getting to you know getting kind of a wrap up of his life before the dementia takes it you yeah. know takes his ability to remember it away. And I again I just don't think that that's I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just, there's a lot of it that I, I just don't get what the idea behind it is. And it, you know, it's obviously very heartfelt and very personal to this family. Uh, a, uh, uh, yeah. It also has a C. It's like C. Dick Johnson. Yeah. So maybe, what do you think that is? Mm. Cock? Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Uh, yeah, I, I just I don't I there's there's just something about it that doesn't really put everything together for me again, which is disappointing because, again, it's got great stuff in it. You know, there's you know, there's a there's a really again, you talk about like heart wrenching stuff. There's a great scene. Well, I say great. It's it's powerful and sad, but 
uh, a scene where he sort of comes to the terms with the idea that like he can't drive anymore. You yeah. know, and um, and and you see the the sort of real realization wash over him of that, and you know, seeing just the confusion kind of step in, or seeing him get a cognitive test like the one that Trump aced, and um, and uh, and and struggling with that. So, you know, it, again, the footage is great. Dick Johnson is great as a character. Kirsten Johnson is great when she's sort of um, you know putting herself in it, but it's got this one big piece that honestly seems to be some sort of integral part of the thesis of the movie, especially given the title that just, that just doesn't connect. I wish it did. And it yeah. Doesn't. I don't, I don't, I just don't get what's happening. Um, yeah. all right. What's your grade, Cody? I'm going to give it a B minus because I think that, um, that I, I really, I really enjoyed spending, you know, the hour and a half with this character and this guy. And, um, and I think that it's a it's got some really great stuff again about aging, about dementia, about um, you know kids taking over their parents, coping. Um, mm-hmm. I just wish it was a little bit more. Yeah, uh, I'm going to give it a B minus also I, for the, all the same sort of reasons. It, it just it feels like there's something that that we're not privy to as to why this makes so much sense to do this sort of elaborate reenactment of different elaborate deaths. Um, but this is available on Netflix now if you want to watch it. Uh, okay, let's move on to our last movie, 2067. Death continued to spiral out of control due to the oxygen crisis that the world has termed the sickness. Last year, I had 20 kids in my class. This year, I have 12. Ethan, what? Do you know what your father did here? Made the Chronicle. What if I told you that you could save all of us? Save your wife. We received a message from the future. The future? This is a time machine? The people who sent the message must have found a cure. Do you really believe I'm going to save the world? You're all men, isn't it? You may be humanity's only chance to find the cure. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. So this is a uh, horror sci-fi film from Australia, mate. I'm sorry. I apologize. Immediately apologize. Uh, No, this is, uh, it's an Australian film, um, an Australian cast. Uh, Most well-known, obviously, is Cody Smith-McPhee, who, uh, of course, was in Let Me In, right? Mm -hmm. The Road. Uh, The Road. uh, The X-Men films as Nightcrawler. He was in uh, Dolomite is my name, right? Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was the the film. Yeah, the director guy. Uh, So tell us about 2067, Cody, and what you thought of it. Well, it's it's funny because it almost has a decent premise, right? Which is, uh, you know, they they live in a world in the future um, where, uh, where basically all the plants have died. And um, there's no oxygen happening. It's called the sickness. Uh, and, uh, and, and basically, they're having to run on, um, uh, what would you call it? What was it? It's like synthetic Synth- oxygen. Synthetic oxygen, which I don't quite understand as a concept. Because yeah. you can produce oxygen without a plant. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, the, the, the part that's interesting, because I know that's not the best setup, uh, <laughs> is, is that, in, is that in order to try to find a, a way to save 
everyone and, and perhaps get through um, this crisis, they're sent a message from 400 years in the future that says to send Ethan White, um, who is Cody Smith-McPhee's character. So they've got this this thing called the Chronicle, which is a time machine, basically, and they want to send him uh, in the future and try to get him to find a cure to the oxygen shortage and then come back. <laughs> and then that's when the movie, like like falls out of a trope tree and hits every branch on the way down because it is the, like every single thing in here checks off a box of like sci-fi trope. And, um, and it's just like, it's got really generic plotting. Um, once he gets sent back in time, the movie forward just, in time, sorry, forward in time, once he gets uh, sent forward in time, 400 years, it just stops making sense because he, he like the, the main character, um, is he, they, his whole job is to find a cure, but then you figure out that it's really to kind of restart the time machine on the other side. And then once they figure out that they've got like four hours to fig to like uncover everything, the movie slows to a snail's pace, and it's so weird because then him and another character just go roaming around in super like like no concern for time, trying to get everything started back up. And you're just sitting there like, why is this taking so long? Why is it taking so long for anyone to do anything? And then also, you know, he comes across some weird stuff. He comes across his own skeleton 400 years in the future. And then he starts coming across, like, bodies and skeletons of, like, people that he knows, which should be hard-hitting. Also, he's 400 years in the future. I don't know what he expected. I, um, well, I, I think the, the point behind that is supposed to be that they died, like, recently after yes, he left. Yes, of course. Uh, yes, that is that is the point. But also, it doesn't hit home when you also put together the idea that no matter what was going to happen he may have run into the bodies of his and of his... but and then also somehow he ran into his own body yeah which i don't look the time travel has a lot of problems <laughs> most yeah. of all could you really send them to the future to get a cure for something that's happening now yeah it doesn't like, it doesn't make any sense yeah um in mm. in the 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 I feel bad for Cody Smith McPhee cuz i don't think it's a bad performance on his end but it's a really bad script also, he he. There's a little bit too much usage. I don't know why he doesn't. Oh, uh, here's a question: Why hasn't his body decomposed in 400 years? He's a skeleton when he finds himself. Yeah, um, yeah. Your skeleton sticks around forever. Yeah, from what I'm told. Yeah, allegedly. I don't know. Uh, uh, the but his cl- his cl- his clothes did stick around a lot longer than. Well, I think the the implication though is that he's not 400 years old. Like that's he, the skeleton wasn't there for 400 years. The skeleton was there for x amount of years yeah well and the skeleton is also wearing the same clothes he was when he when he arrives right. there and, and yeah. stuff so anyway um it, it just carries out its mysteries way too long and it and it, and it can it like consistently and always has like another layer of mystery that it's going to reveal and the deeper that it digs the less sense that it makes and then it tries to be some sort of heart-wrenching father-son story by the end of it. And then once you get to that point, you just don't care anymore. And like I was saying, I don't think Cody Smith McPhee is bad. Um, he says dude a lot, which in like some really dramatic scenes, which is kind of weird. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this this movie's a mess. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's a bad premise. You know, it's it's one of those things that... If you want to get like mind bending about time travel, I'm totally on board with that. Um, you know, there's there's all kinds of rules you can 
you can adhere to or not adhere to. And I think this movie just kind of blows it right at the beginning because they're, again, like I said, they're sending him to the future to get a cure for the thing now at this like portal that doesn't have a, a way to send him back. Mm-hmm. So his idea is that he's supposed to go there and they're supposed to help him get back. I, look, I, I don't quite understand the logic behind that plot idea. Um, you know, and then by the end of, by the time it, it's all sort of revealed, it turns into this thing that makes the initial travel there not make any sort of sense. Yep. Uh, not to give it away. But, it also doesn't seem to serve the main character in any real major way. Right. Like, it's just, like, you know, you mentioned that it hits every side, every trope branch on the way down. But it really just sort of, like, here, uh, um, you're, do you remember uh, Bill and Ted when they when they tell, uh, they tell themselves, like, we're going to go back and set this up so we can yeah. drop this sandbags on and the... And then something just happens. Yeah. So this movie is, it feels like it's the, it's that part of the movie. Like you're watching Bill and Ted go set up the sandbags that they need <laughs> to fall later. And I don't think it's interesting in that way because it, it ends up not meaning anything. And then the, the time, you know, the res you know, there's, there's a big eco kind of, um, what am I trying to say? Kind of like a message. Yeah. Like, it, like, yeah. So at the end of it it just sort of hits you over the head with this message and you know what it's it's fine uh looking like it looks a little cheap at times uh and it it, it has a decent world building aspect of it but i just think that the whole time travel thing makes no sense yeah and and it also has like characters coming from out of nowhere with with suddenly evil uh sort of implications yeah. behind it look it, it, again it, it 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 has too many mysteries that it reveals way too slow and um and and, and the movie is literally up against an actual clock and yet it still <laughs> it still uh un, like unravels at a snail's pace and um you know I, again i actually think that it, for being a low budget tiny australian sci-fi it looks pretty decent no, I think I think it for the most part it does. There's some cheapo looking stuff in there, but but the production design is good. The sets are good. Like the time machine, I think looks really good. Um, and uh, and and I think that Cody Smith McPhee is trying his hardest, but um, it, he's trapped. That in mustache a, is terrible, man. Oh, it's that a bad mustache. It's a, is terrible. <laughs> it is a bad mustache. Um, and uh, and also I don't like I they try to age him up here, and I it's he's one of those people that just like even though he's like 24 he looks like he's 16 yeah so it's it's and so trying to grow facial hair to age him up is actually working against him i think in this case yeah uh i just again i'm i'm all for something in time travel that 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 seems a little trippier or you know kind of plays with the rules in different ways but at the end of the day when you when you think about what this movie ends up with like there's it doesn't make any logical sense as to why it happened uh, and it doesn't. Uh, it look uh, whatever. It, what's your grade? Uh, I'm gonna give this a D plus. Um, I think it's a bit of a rough experience, and it's almost two hours long. It's way too long. Yeah, I think a D plus is probably fair. I think it's just not near anywhere as good as it should be. Um, 
you know, it could have been smarter and and better. It could have been a nice little low budget Aussie sci fi film, uh, like The Rover. Yeah. Which is sort of sci fi. But um Yeah. Okay, that's gonna do it for this week. Next week, Cody, what do we have? Well, we've got an, an action packed four week. I'm gonna go ahead and we're gonna go ahead and skip the war with grandpa. I don't think I have that in me. Uh, do I that. don't either. <laughs> I, you know what? I did. I had to go to the mall, uh-huh. um, and the AMC theater there is closed, which I don't think it's ever reopened. But they had a poster up for the war with Grandpa, which I yeah. thought was strange. It's a movie that was apparently was completed three years ago, and it was <laughs> it's one of the Weinstein hostage movies where oh. where the Weinstein's had it for a long time. Um, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna do Yellow Rose is the first mm-hmm. movie we're going to do spontaneous um which is a movie that opens on vod on tuesday um we're going to do wolf of snow hollow did you ever see the movie thunder road uh that's uh remind me it's the guy it's the guy who was a cop and his dad died and oh yes like- yes i did not like that movie yeah, but I, I I thought it had problems, but I could see like a lot of people loved it, and I could see like the talent in there. So it's the new movie from uh, Jim Cummings who made that movie, and it's a horror movie, and it's also the final film role for Robert Forster. So there's oh, that. Oh yes, yeah. And then finally, Jared, <laughs> I know what you're thinking to say now. I know. Next which one week you're... we are covering Hubie Halloween, the Adam Sandler. Netflix film about the guy who loves Halloween, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's it has seemingly every SNL cast member past and present in it. Yeah. Which is a, a, a an amazing array of talent, whether you consider some of them talented or not. And I, I think all of them are, honestly. I just think Adam Sandler's been phoning it in for so long and... Yeah, um, I, it's funny because uh, when the trailer first came out, a lot of people were commenting that this is the movie that Adam threatened uh, Adam Sandler threatened to make if he didn't get nominated for Uncut Gems. <laughs> he said he was going to make the worst movie anyone's ever seen, and then this is the very next thing. So. I don't know that it's the worst. It doesn't look worse than Little Nicky. I hate Little Nicky. I like Little. I I grew up with Little Nicky. I know. It, see, it does it does feel a little like a Waterboy sequel, the way mm-hmm. his character acts. Um, Anyway, that's a Netflix film, obviously. So uh, oh, we're getting some we're getting some uh, comments here. Here's one: Little Nicky is good. No, it's Little not. Little Nicky is it a is, classic. It <laughs> is not. Neither of those things are true. Uh, we did do Devil all the time. Oh yes, uh, yes. Last week or no, two weeks ago. So go back and look at that one. Yeah, go to um, YouTube, YouTube, and look up Devil all the time, and where our show is on there. YouTube, look up Cinesnob on YouTube, and you can find it. Yeah, I we think don't that's have the one. We don't have enough followers for a vanity URL yet, so... I think that's the one clip that... Uh, fucking YouTube flagging everything. <laughs> These are promotional clips, by the way. These are meant for promotion and for critiquing. And uh, fucking algorithms on YouTube and Facebook keep fucking flagging these goddamn trailers and clips like it's like we're stealing them. Like, no, just want to talk about your goddamn movie with the publicity crap you put out. Oh, it pisses me right off, man. I yeah, swear. it's annoying. Um, so that's it, right? Four movies, Hubie Halloween. Yeah, it's actually going to be a good rest of the October. There's a lot of uh, really good potential coming out, especially the six. I'm excited for the 16th, but we'll get through this week first. Yeah. All right. Uh, if you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net. You can find us on Twitter at Cinesnob, Facebook Cinesnob Critic. 
Um, we are on Twitch live right now. Hi, everyone. Um, hi, two people chatting with us right now. Um, you can find us on YouTube, as we just mentioned. And on Facebook, uh, the video version of this goes out uh, typically Monday mornings. Uh, audio version will be out before that. Uh, you know, if you if you hear us talk about something visual in the audio version, come watch the video version. It's worth it. Yeah. Um, I've got. I've, I said this. I've, we've gotten a lot of new people that never knew we did this with the video version being released. Yeah. Which is six years into it. Yeah, it's funny how that works, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think we may have Jocelyn back next week. Oh, is she is she ready to come back? I, I mean, think I know so. she's not doing. I mean, you know, I, I gotta imagine it's gonna get bored, boring. Being yeah. There with a I mean, she was threatening to do the show last week, and we were like, "No, don't, don't do that." <laughs> yeah, we're like, "Have your baby, bond with him, and then ignore him." Yeah. You want to see his picture again, everyone? Since we didn't, if you missed the beginning of the show, that's that's little Hugo. Oh. I, you know, I had a great joke for that um, after our show, and I, I told it to my wife, and then I told it to Jocelyn, and she said, because I said that Hugo sounds like the name of some someone who lives in a clock, mm-hmm. and then uh, she said, well, you said it, said it sounded like a French boxer. And I'm like, yeah, I did. That was Isn't the first that the joke exact I- plot of Hugo, the Scorsese movie? Don't they live did in a clock? Did he live in a clock? <laughs> don't they? <laughs> Maybe. I thought they just made a clock. Shit, I don't know. I thought there was a train involved, too. Well, that was the because it was a a reference to uh, uh, what was his the uh, George Millet Millet whatever. Yeah, but yeah, that uh, was like in nineteen thirty one Paris. Twelve year old Hugo Cabaret lives with his widowed clockmaker father who works okay. in a museum. Well, all right then. Close so, enough. Whatever. I it's he didn't live in a clock, but probably almost. Man, I forgot that movie existed, yeah. and I think I really liked it too. Anyway. Uh, what else, Cody? Uh, the Ramble, uh, two, uh, Tuesdays and Fridays, Ramble Radio, Wednesdays, Ramble, uh, regular Ramble, and then Thursdays, Good Willow Hunting. Uh, this upcoming week will be, uh, The Goonies. Um, Ooh. Yeah. What does the commentary think about The Goonies? The Goonies sucks dick, by the way. Let's see. So, let's people, see if People on Twitch, what that. do you think about The Goonies? It sucks. yeah we'll see there's always a slight delay on twitch yeah Um, anyway the goonies sucks and uh you can't convince me otherwise oh i'm not a fan uh says uh brostilicus so anyway um you can uh oh everyone says it's awful holy shit yeah it's unanimous uh well i don't know cody hasn't given his one thing too i wanted to quickly say is that we have had internal discussions of doing re-MCU again this week as well. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. So we might so I think I might, I might actually watch that tonight. When oh, it's yeah. Over. I need to, um, yeah, need to get back on that train. Uh, yeah, because we were, cause we and we didn't even talk about it. Shit, we took, should have talked about it in the news because we, we got re- re-interested in this because uh, the idea that Jamie Foxx oh, is returning yeah. to play Electro yeah. In whatever the third Tom Holland Spider-Man is going to be called, who you may remember, I haven't seen the movie, but he played Electro in Amazing Spider-Man 2, which sort of killed that franchise and sent it all back to Marvel yep. uh, to be Marvel related. So We were talking about that on the Ramble today, how like basically through, through all of the Spider-Man movies, they picked the worst villain that's appeared so far to, to uh, 
recapture here. So I don't really know what they're thinking here other than just the fact that Jamie Foxx is Jamie Foxx, but he's pretty bad in that movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I never saw the movie, but it, it looked terrible. Um, the characterization they gave him because they made him like a super nerd with like a comb over. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, um, the idea that uh, I've heard, I've seen the idea floated around that this is going to solidify their multiverse aspect of everything. You know, that I, I could see that working if, but only if they bring back like Garfield and, and Tobey Maguire, I think that would be interesting, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, also, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that at another date. Um, you can uh, find me. I've got a couple of, couple of articles on the hard times. Got one in the, in the pipe right now. Um, yeah, that's it. You, you immortalized me in the hard times. My name. I did. What was that article about? Was that the movie one? It was the movie the mo- reopening with the, was oh, yeah. it the popcorn thing? Oh yeah. Popcorn. Uh, AMC was released a popcorn mask. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've put, I've tried to put a name of someone of, of at least one person I know in every story that I've written. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, on that note, I'm Jared Kingery. And I'm Cody Viafania. Thank you for listening to the Cine Snob Podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.